0: Good morning. morning. You brood of vipers. Yeah, you. How's that feel, eh? (laughs) Better. My kind of guy. This morning we're picking right up in the story where we left off last week. Um, Last week we were uh, introduced to Jesus' cousin, John, who's the Baptist. Not of the denomination, but by what he did. And John the Baptist did his work along the Jordan River, which is east and south of uh, Jerusalem, And it was thought, if you remember, that John emerged from this very strict, uh, spiritually fundamentalist group called uh, the Essenes, who lived in the caves of Qumran, and the Essenes were this group of religious uh, folk who felt that the rest of y'all are so sinful and dirty that I cannot be near you because your spiritual cooties would stick, and I just got to separate myself from you and keep you away. Well, it was thought that John maybe was a part of this group, but John, um, he, he felt a call on his life uh, to step out of that strict, private, remote uh, community and go into the wilderness and start calling out to people. We noted how John's words last week were a call uh, for repentance. They were designed to let the people of Israel know Messiah is coming back. And that is good news. And the Messiah is coming to liberate them from oppression and from captivity. Um, We remember he was quoting Isaiah chapter 40. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight the highways of our God. And for the ancient Jew, they would have heard this as something exciting, a restored relationship. Well, we're picking up today. And unfortunately, the, this, this, the Baptist continues in the vein of Isaiah, but it's, we, we get the wrong meaning out of it. John comes across as that abrupt and confrontational preacher that in our ears we go, that's the John I love. You brood of vipers! With the spit and everything. That's the John we know. That's the John we love. And our story this morning contains a promise followed by some instruction, but then is ends with a promise as well. I want us to listen to this word of the Lord and listen to the two promises sandwiching together... What we are are being asked to think about, reflect upon, and do the next nine days before Christmas. So today, we're going to look at John chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. And I want you to listen out for the promise, the instructions, and then the second promise. Beloved, listen for the word of the Lord. John the Baptist said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warn you to flee the wrath to come. Bear fruits worthy of repentance, John says. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the foot of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into fire. Now that's the John we know and love. That's the one we remember. And the crowds asked John, "What then should we do?" In reply John said to them, "Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has fo- has food must do likewise." Even the tax and toll collectors came to be baptized by John and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And John said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also came up and asked him, And what should we do? And John said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. Now as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of a sandal. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in His hand to clear His threshing floor and to gather the wheat into His granary, but the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. And then Luke goes on to say, So with many other exhortations, John proclaimed what? The good news to the people. Now, is, that a, is there a bump to you right there? You brood of vipers! To John, proclaimed other good news to the people. Just, it's hard to make it fit. It doesn't. How do we, how do we, how do we reconcile this liturgical, biblical bump that we've encountered? Well, I want us to first begin by noticing the first promise in verses 7 to 9. And I want to highlight that it's a promise that you and I might not expect it to be. It's one of those slate of hands in Scripture where we're thinking John is talking about this, but as we read between the lines, he's really talking about that. So let's dive into it. Verses seven and eight, seven and nine, our first inclination is to hear John's words, you brood of vipers, as some bad news. God's coming and God is packed off. Frankly, why wouldn't we? How would you and I, how would you feel if I stood up every Sunday instead of saying, Good morning, Saints, morning sinners. And I instead inserted, You brood of vipers! How would that get us off every morning? See, the irony is the Scripture is placed... The Scripture is placed on Joy Sunday in the season of Advent. (laughs) Doesn't that just make your head spin? You brood of vipers, it's Joy Sunday. In Matthew's Gospel... He has the same story, but Matthew, it's different. When Matthew has John talking, John is saying, you brood of vipers to a very specific group of people. That's the religious officials, the Pharisees and Sadducees. He is talking to the brood of vipers that represent the Jewish religious tradition. Luke doesn't do that. Luke, and however, blows it up so we're all included into this brood of vipers. Luke's subtle inclusion of all y'all are part of the brood of vipers changes the meaning entirely, my friends, and it highlights the good news promise of John's message that we often miss. Unlike Matthew, who isolates the religious institution, Luke opens up the aperture to include all the people of Israel. Like the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, Luke has John appearing to the whole nation of Israel, declaring a prophecy to get back with God. All y'all brood of vipers who warns you to flee the wrath to come. This is John the Baptist at his best, isn't it? This is John the Baptist as we remember him most fondly. It's he's in your face. He's pointing fingers. He's isolating you. You can see spittle coming out of his kind of like Monty Python and the Holy Grail and they're spitting as they're talking. And again we're left... Where's the good news promise? Where is the good news promise? Is it God's wrath to come? Is that the good news? What's this wrath look like anyway? This is this is a bad news promise, preacher. We hear these words and we think that God's coming and God is hacked off, he's full of anger, he's full of wrath. He's breathing fire. And God is about to go postal on everybody. We hear how the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. It's being cut down, thrown into the fire. Again, where's the good news promise? Are we missing something? And I would say, yes, we are. John is using prophetic language certain type of speech. Remember, in a, a prophet had two basic jobs. One prophet is the prophet who future-told events that were going to happen out in the distant future. And oftentimes in our modern understanding of prophet, we think of those prophets. We think of the future-telling prophets, the ones of Revelation and Daniel, that in the future God is going to come and this and this and this and this. But the other role of prophet is not just a future teller the prophet is a truth teller the prophet is a truth teller they are like the bu- a baseball umpire who says you know some call balls some call strikes i call them the way i see them and that's what the kind of prophet john is he tells the people the hard truths that are right in front of them but they fail to see and what is this good news promise that John is declaring? Is it that God is coming as Messiah and He's going to go all DEFCON 1 on everybody? Wrathful, fire, brimstone? No. That doesn't sound like good news. The good news is buried in verse 8 where it says, Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for God... Is able to raise these stones to raise up children of Abraham. That's the good news. You see, the Baptist is, much to our unfamiliarity with Scripture, is pointing back to an ancient text in Isaiah Isaiah fifty two twelve. And Isaiah fifty two twelve says this: again, Isaiah speaking to the people of Israel, look. O Israel, to the rock from whom which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug up, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. In other words, John is using language and similes that will remind the good Jew That they are the people of God. They are Jewish people of God solely by God's grace. They had nothing to do with it. They are the children of God solely because God deemed it so. And he's reminding them of that fact. You see, we, we get this is the good news promise we miss in the story. We we get so focused on God's wrath and chopping down trees and the fire, we miss the promise that John is indicating already happening. It's already going on. God is raising new stones up, beloved, as children of Abraham and Sarah, and they are outside the scope of just the nation of Israel. They're outside the scope of who's included in the community in the mind of the first century Jew. The good news, beloved, that we fail to see in the Scripture is is that Messiah is preparing to come and redraw the lines of inclusion of the kingdom of God. No longer is it just going to be this group of children of Abraham and Sarah. Jesus is saying, I'm going to open it up. All y'all are now potential sons and daughters of God. And the rest of Luke's Gospel are the stories of how Jesus demonstrates that in real life. This is the overture. This is the theme that Luke is setting up. Jesus is redrawing the boundaries of what the nation is and who the nation is comprised of. And that is good News, Amen? And yet with that great news comes instruction. Verses 10, 14, 10 through 14 include the instruction that John is, is giving the people. And we have three groups of people. We have the crowds. We have toll collectors. And we have soldiers. And they all ask John the exact same question. Did you catch it? What should we do? What should we do? John tells the larger crowd that if they have two coats and extra food, they are to share them with those who do not. John is not calling for us to embrace some form of socialism or communism where everything is the same for everybody else. John is saying that to adequately prepare for Messiah, it means letting go of what we think is ours and remember that all we have belongs to God. Even those who do not share in the same material blessings, they are sons and daughters of God. It's not about sharing so everybody is equal. It's about sharing... Intentional, expressed love of God—what we call agape—to others who may not one have experienced it yet, or even two, and this is harder to those who don't deserve it. Whew. John is telling the people: if you have a- if you have excess, if you have two coats, share one. If you got extra food, share it. Don't force people into thievery and crime in order to have them survive by stealing their food or means in order to get by. Don't allow civil unrest, John is saying, and rebellion of discontent brew in your communities between the haves and have-nots. No, church, John is imploring us to create a revolution here in the heart within a heart and soul reminding us that all we have is a gift of God. And the revolution starts with individual Christ followers who have the audacity to share. What should we do? Share. What should we do? The toll collectors ask. And John tells them to conduct themselves as business people of integrity and be fair. In John's day, toll collectors are—it's called tax collectors—but they're toll collectors, and it's not like what we have on the turnpike. But what they do, tolls were a way that we were to give back to the community or the government um, for basic services, like a tax. But the difference was this. In John's day, a toll collector... Let's see, I'm going to make Ed. Ed Sickler. He is this community's toll collector. And so there are a couple of hundred people in this room. And so Ed, as the toll collector, he is going to pay the taxes on all of y'all's heads. For all of you in advance. He pays the tolls to the government ahead. And then what Ed does, good tax collector that he is, he sets up a little shop. And we have to come and pay him back for what he has already done for us. Thing is, Ed doesn't like me. He doesn't like my wife. He doesn't like my family. He doesn't like the people I hang around with. So Ed is going to charge me double. Instead of paying back what Ed has paid for me and maybe a little interest for his trouble, Ed is going to say, you know, Risley, you owe me five extra dollars. Now Chandler Bing comes up. He says, oh, Chandler, you're so sweet. Just 50 cents. <laughs> Eric Johnson comes up. He's like, Eric, that's a 10 spot for you. I mean, the whole deal is, is Ed dictates how much toll he collects from people. It's all on his whim and fancy and we wonder why toll collectors were hated john is saying listen you toll collectors do your job do what you do and do it well but do it with justice with ethics use the business and social ethics john is telling the uh, hebrew people Use the ethics you have already learned in the Torah, and you will be fine. What should we do? Cried the soldiers. Now, these are soldiers not of the Roman guards, perhaps. These are mercenaries often that are hired from other countries to do the bidding of Caesar or the king. Soldiers of that day were more like a neighborhood mob boss. If you wanted your house protected, they would extort money from you to make sure that your property was protected. If you didn't pay them what they wanted, they're going to leave you fair game. They were like an ancient mob boss, and they would extort money out of people for their protection and security. What are we to do, they are asking. And John is simply saying, trust God and acknowledge God with what you have. Live simply. Be content. Yes, you have a job to do. Trust and acknowledge God and that God will give you the provision you need. Be content. Be grateful for what you have, not for what you don't have. What should we do? Share with others out of love and gratitude for what God has done for us. We are to be content and grateful for the provision that God has already given us. We're to use good, solid ethics. So there's the instruction. And then finally, John ends with another promise. He finishes up our story by painting another promise, which is simply this. The Messiah is coming, and He is so much more wonderful. He is so much more dazzling. He is so much more gracious. He is so much more holy than any of us will ever be able to understand. Indeed, Messiah will give us His very breath. That's what the word spirit means is breath. Breath. Imagine CPR, someone who's out on the beach and they swallow too much water and they're not breathing. They pump. Someone has to come and pump out the water and then breathe into them. Give them life-giving breath, spirit. That's what John is saying. The spirit is coming and breathing breath. You will have life that you've never had before. So fellow brood of vipers let us not become smug that we corner the market of God and what it means to be a relationship with God we might have it totally wrong our pride may get in the way of a relationship with God let us be instructed by the spirit to radically share and love other people. Let us ethically and responsibly deal with one another and let us be content with the sweet provisions God's already given us. Now we know why today is called Joy Sunday, why we wear pink. The circle has been drawn bigger to include you and me and what could make us more joyous than that, amen? Pray with me. Spirit of the living God, thank You for promises and instruction. Lord, it's really pretty basic. You've come to draw the circles of inclusion larger to include people who will follow You and say, I believe, into the family of faith. And Lord, You simply tell us to live well, share, and show love to others around us. Give out of our provision, not out of our lack. You ask us to follow the Torah, to, to be ethical. Lord, you call us to be content with what you've given us. Oh, Lord, in your mercy, help us do just that. Amen.